everybody, this is Michelle Bonzek, your host of Might I Suggest. Thanks so much for joining us for our episode. This one features our special guest, Kristen Aldridge. I've known Kristen for a very long time. She is incredibly kind and talented and intelligent and has really diverse and interesting things that she loves. And so I'm really excited for her to share them with you on this episode. For this episode, we have... Fiona Apple's title, Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique, and we're closing out the episode with the cult classic, This is Spinal Tap. I hope you love it as much as I do. Bye. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. For your first pick, you brought us Fiona Apple's title, Mm -hmm. her 1996 debut album. Why is this the album that you initially chose? So this was so influential in my formative years as a young woman growing up in the suburbs and feeling the angst and seeing these powerful, you know, empowered women kind of making really amazing music. Um, There's like several people, artists that I would put in that category, but Fiona Apple really spoke to me. Of course, she had hits on the radio that I heard, which is how I was first introduced, listening to like alternative radio in the 90s. And it was, I think, kind of a big deal for me to translate some of what she was saying in her lyrics and things she was talking about and emotional expression and things she was feeling and feeling like I could relate to some of that and yes. I could relate to those feelings and I could relate to those, to, to that expression. And that was a big deal. And I'm sure it was for many, you know, young women at that time, but, um, I was certainly one. And one of the, I think that was the first concert I ever went to, like of my own volition, like not with my brother or yeah. my family or something like that. I was like, this is an artist I want to see. And I went with my friend, Teresa Free, in like seventh grade. Uh, my dad brought us there and he like, you know, stayed in the back. So <laughs> be cool and like not in our space. And That's a good dad. It was, yeah, he was a great dad, yeah. He also has amazing musical taste and uh, that was very cool in my life as well, but... Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a lot of it, and maybe some broad strokes, but, yeah, it was just kind of a big deal album for me. Yeah, it was, Fiona Apple was huge in my teen years for me as well. Yeah. I kind of, that, that angry rocker chick mm-hmm. was just like, it hit all of the buttons for me, and I was like, yes, I too am an angry chick who wants to rock. Yes. Like, I have important emotions to feel and think, and yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I want to be you. I want to, like, be around you. You know, just all those feelings of, yeah. I don't know, fangirling from far away, I guess. But yeah. And- but also, I, for me, I was like, we're going to be best friends once we meet. (laughs) We have so much in common. I too have been dicked over by a man. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think another thing was like being in touch with her, you know, her, she was like also a sexual figure to some smaller degree. Like I think a lot, a lot of the other, you know, kind of 
persona had so much more to do with like who she was as an artist and performer but I feel like that is maybe important for me too like seeing this person who was really strong and empowered and an, an amazing artist and was like okay with her body and like I don't know that I think that maybe impacted me as well and it was like oh this is okay it's okay to like to like I don't know to like yourself yeah or something like that I don't know yeah I remember when I was in high school feeling like you know uh, especially the one that stands out is Criminal which is the most popular single from the album she won a Grammy for best female uh, rock vocal because of it um but she wrote this album when she was 17. Yeah. And I remember when I saw the video for Criminal, it was so sexy and it was all these like emaciated like Abercrombie and Fitch style <laughs> models mm-hmm. being like sexy and like in a hot room together. Mm-hmm. I'm like we're in a hot room together right now, but like there's nothing about what you're seeing in front of you, Kristen. I'm sorry that, like, is that sexy? I just am, like, aggressively sweating in your general vicinity. It's a hot day here, everybody. But so with hindsight, like, going back in as an adult looking at these um, songs that meant so much to me were so powerful and important, I still see her as a really powerful and important Mm -hmm. woman, Mm -hmm. but in a much different way. Now, I feel like she was so hypersexualized by the media yeah. at that time. And so looking back at it, I feel like criminal is where she's like, cool, I'm going to turn your expectations on your head. And like, I'm going to make you very much feel like you are the voyeur that you are. Mm-hmm. And like, everything feels so deliberate in that video. And it just makes me think that she's even more brilliant than before. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, her, like all of her all the aspects of her music I think are so powerful. Like she's clearly, or in my opinion, like an amazing lyricist Mm -hmm. and her words are so powerful and yeah, just clearly a very intelligent person communicating a lot of, you know, complex, intricate feelings and situations. And certainly from a very feminist standpoint, I would say. So I totally agree kind of flipping that on its head and, forcing people to be the voyeur that's so well put like totally agree with that but then for the media to all just kind of take that at only face value and not necessarily dig into the underlying message right is yeah discouraging or something yeah and it but it's one of those things that we never thought about i think when the album first came out it's only like looking back in hindsight that i'm like oh Mm -hmm. she is even more brilliant i also think that it's more impressive to me now just how vulnerable she made herself yeah. in uh, not just tied up, but also in the pawn and then mm-hmm. the 70-something words that came after that. Mm-hmm. But, like, both of her, her first and second albums were, like, so raw with emotion. And it's one of the reasons that I super connected with her. Because yeah. I've always been, like, very much, like, I feel my feelings, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but don't always know what to do with them. Totally. So... Yeah. Yeah, so I really feel like, oh, I connected with her and her experiences that she shared through her songs. Right, yeah, totally. And uh, just one like other piece of my experience with that album and Fiona Apple, my 
well, I guess it wasn't my first solo, but one of my first like solo routines as a dancer, like that was basically my sole extracurricular activity in, you know, middle school, high school, et cetera, um, was dance. Mm-hmm. And I got to like, you know, pick my song for my solo and I chose Shadow Boxer. And I think, you know, listening back to that song, like, you know, so many times at different points in my life, I think there's so much of that song that I didn't quite understand yeah. at the moment. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, like, but feeling very much just viscerally, like what she was expressing. And I, I don't know, maybe that's part of it too, of just feeling the connection to this artist and their music and their lyrics, but then also that kind of, um, I don't know, transformation or something like through my, my body in this other form of expression and kind of expressing myself through her song in a way as an avenue like to, to dance to this routine. Um, so yeah, I feel like that, that definitely feels significant in my head of like, uh, the, the, the influence that I feel from, Fiona Apple and her music and that album and that song, of course. So Yes, very much so. Yeah. Well, especially that song in particular that is all about wanting something that you know you shouldn't have, mm-hmm. but it just makes you want it even more. And, like, we've all gone through bad breakups. We've all, uh, you know, uh, I feel like most people have wanted, like, the bad person. You know what I mean? Like, the one yeah. that isn't necessarily you know, the person you should be wanting to make out with, but you're like, but also doesn't it make it hotter for right. the 10 minutes before he ruins everything? <laughs> uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think that that, to be so young and so good at storytelling mm-hmm. is just insane to yeah. me. Yeah, um, totally agree. Really impressive to think how young she was at that time. But, Yeah. Is Shadow Boxer your favorite song on the album? I I feel like I I have to say yeah. There I mean man, I'm not mad at that by the way. I That's think, a great choice. Yeah. Um I yeah, oh, it's really tough. There are so many that stick out as like really big deals to me in my head. Um, another one that I would want to call, now it's just like going to be a rambling session of every single song in the album that could potentially be my favorite. Um, Sullen Girl is another one that always spoke to me a lot. That Um, song is so powerful to me and terrible mm -hmm. and Mm gut-wrenching, um, in all of the most best ways that a song can access a terrible experience and be yeah. cathartic. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, you know, it certainly at that time, like didn't have, I don't think any kind of like very weighty, terrible right. experience to relate to, but just general, general feelings, you know, certainly the like teenage angst thing, like now yes. at this point in my life, looking back, I'm like, Oh, now what has been like diagnosed as minor depression was like yeah. maybe starting to form in this way or right. at this time. And, you know, it's it, hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess, and all of that, but it's, you can kind of, I don't know, I can see where that helped me feel like I could relate to these feelings and had some words to yeah. put to it in a way. Yeah, you weren't alone. Yeah. Somebody else had gotten it. Yeah. And it wasn't, 
until years and years later that I was like, oh, this song is about her dealing with the aftermath of being raped. Mm-hmm. I had no idea as 16, 17-year-old Michelle, I just was like, oh, yeah, I can't be the perfect, happy person you want me to be all the time. Totally. Yeah. Like, that's not who I am. Right. And feeling like, oh, Fiona Apple understands Mm -hmm. how crazy that pressure feels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I... I'm right there with you. Like, again, you know, didn't have that kind of experience that I was drawing from to, you know. Which I'm glad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I'm very sad that Fiona Apple had that experience. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, definitely felt like this is putting words to something that I'm feeling, but otherwise wouldn't have that vocabulary or something. Yeah. It also felt like the type of thing where it wasn't Britney Spears, it wasn't in sync, or, you know, this was something that felt more genuine and important in my life. Mm-hmm. And when it hit in my world, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for that genuine and authentic connection emotionally to music. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's really important to point out, too. Like, I, you know, I definitely have, I think, the influence of my dad and my brother in terms of musical taste, and certainly my mom, too. Like, their music was always just a big deal in our house, and lots of different kinds of music, and, you know, certainly appreciation for what's, you know, big in the top 20 yeah. billboard hits or whatever, but, and certainly through time, you know, through history and everything, but... Um, yeah, major appreciation for lots of different kinds of music. And so the fact that, you know, different, more alternative music was always playing in our household, I think is a big deal. Um, I think about that a lot in terms of how would my musical tastes be different without that influence? And it's just like, kind of impossible to know yeah probably like there's maybe some tendencies in my personality anyway that would have led me in a similar path but Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's like I did not go the route of of the NSYNC Backstreet Boys whatever Um, oh full disclosure yeah I still definitely went to see NSYNC in concert and I definitely still know all the words to bye 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 (laughs) but also (laughs) right there was more there yeah. was more you know musical taste happening there yeah. too yeah. well for me i had a similar experience where music was always a big part of my home yeah. and so but my mom was more of a like top 40s hits mm-hmm. lady i remember we used to listen to a lot of gloria stefan nice <laughs> and so like the miami sound machine has like a lot of like nostalgic value in my life uh-huh. um but then my dad he he like refuses to acknowledge like anything past 1980 happened so (laughs) I got all of these like beautiful old hits from my dad and so I'm this weird mesh of like all of it Mm -hmm. and so part of the reason that I found Fiona Apple is that she was like my thing she was one of the first artists that I found on my own it was like you know her Alanis Morissette, um, weirdly enough, Silverchair. Oh, sure. 
They were very big when I was oh, 15. Yeah. They were great. And <laughs> um, actually, Silverchair is, this is very strange. I had a Silverchair album. Mm-hmm. I bought it with like my babysitting money and I was like so excited about it. Right. And this guy I had a crush on in high school. His name was Jake. He was very handsome and a football player and used to, and he was older and used to drive me home from school. Oh. We never made out. It was sad. Anyway, <laughs> this might be why. Because we were talking about music and he's like, oh, can I borrow your CD? And I was like, yeah, but what CD am I getting? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to sit here and not listen to a CD. Oh, yeah. This is tit for tat. So he gave me uh, Lives Throwing Copper. Oh, nice. As our exchange. Okay. And then he broke my silver chair CD. <gasps> what so, a jerk. Right? I know, but he was such a cute jerk. But anyway, <laughs> but here's the thing. He felt very, very guilty about it. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I'll buy you a new one and you keep the live throwing copper CD. So he ended up replacing my CD and letting me keep his. That's so it was awesome. very nice of him. Yeah. But because of that experience, live throwing copper came into my life. Mm-hmm. And that album gave me my judge for what I feel like makes a really, truly special and important album yeah and it is can i listen to it from front to back Mm -hmm. and not have to skip any songs yes and throwing copper was the first album that i was able to do that with so i'm actually always grateful to silver chair for getting broken uh by a hot man (laughs) that's amazing that is amazing yeah, no, that's definitely a pretty major test of an album. Can I listen to this front to back, you know, countless times and not get sick of it? Yeah. And always find new and interesting things in it. Yeah. But that story's amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad you got live throwing copper in your life. Oh, I totally won. Oh. And Jake, if you're listening, you were very handsome and you should have asked me to prom. <laughs> I would have said yes. Agreed. Just... We also could have made out in your truck. It's fine. (laughs) So my last question for you about this album is I feel like for a lot of this album, she was talking about stuff that I actually didn't experience until I was in college. And she has this like sexy sophisticatedness to her that I've never achieved. And it kind of almost kind of gave me a little bit of a complex as a listener, did you ever experience anything like that? Or are you just like, nope, she actually just gave me the freedom to be who I was? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like there must have been kind of a mix of both at the time. Um, Knowing and thinking back to, you know, the insecurities that I had and, you know, that, that would, you know, follow me throughout my 20s and whatnot, there definitely is that sense of this, you know, celebrity that is idolized in a certain way and seen as, as you say, like sexy and sophisticated and just feels completely unattainable and out of reach. So I'm, I mean, I'm trying to call up specific memories. I'm sure that I felt that way at times thinking about her and what she was doing. I think, you know, thinking back to the the my solo piece like dancing to her music I feel like in a way that can at times like help to transform uh the sort of image and how I feel about 
that person or trying to attain what they are or what yeah. they're doing. It's like, I'm taking your work and turning it into something that is my own in yeah. this way. Um, what a beautiful way to think of it. Yeah, kind of powerful in a way. Or like, yes. it's certainly powerful for me for that experience of dancing to that music. But I think that does something to how mm-hmm. I may have seen her as an artist. Um, I mean, you know, it's, and I was just talking about this recently, and it's something that I think about from time to time now. I, growing up dancing, I was surrounded by, you know, young, attractive, very in shape girl, <laughs> young women, you know, who I, there were certainly times where I was like, I don't look like they look. Like, I'm never going to look as good as that or be as thin as that or in shape or whatever. Um, but so like somehow I was still able to maintain some sense of like, I'm okay in my body, even though I have times of fluctuation of like, I feel bad right now, or I feel better right now. It's like, there's the kind of balance that would happen certainly as a teenager, Mm -hmm. but I, I was able to come out of that without like fairly unscathed. That's wonderful news. Which is amazing. And I... I'm just re- feel so incredibly lucky and attribute, you know, a good chunk of that to my, just my genes. I happen to like have a body that like is at its sort of baseline considered okay by society. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're doing fine. Like you're, there's nothing particularly, you know, wrong in a yeah. major way that someone could, is going to point out necessarily. But anyway, um, I definitely think of that. I think of that <clears throat> with certain celebrity, like, idols or people I looked up to, like Fiona Apple. Like, mm-hmm. she was very thin, attractive, like, sexy in all the right ways or, you know, yeah. things like that. Um, but th- somehow I, I was able to kind of not attach too much weight to that. Yeah. At least in a way where I was, I could come out of my teenage years feeling okay about myself. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's my rambling answer. That was a great answer. (laughs) I liked it. Cool. (laughs) So for our second thing that we're discussing today, you have brought us Beastie Boys' 1989 album, Paul's Boutique. Mm -hmm. So when I first decided that I was going to do a podcast and I decided that I was going to have my friends come on and talk about the things that they love, I instantly was like, there's going to be a Beastie Boys album when Kristen and I talk. <laughs> because it's the artist that I think of when I think of you. Aww. And it has been since we met before you went away to Spain. Yeah. Which Kristen and I have known each other since she was in college. And she left me multiple times. We're still fighting about it. It's fine, though. <laughs> but so she went to study abroad in Spain. But before she left, I already had Beastie Boys as, like, the connecting artist to Kristen for me so what is it about Beastie Boys and particularly Paul's Boutique that brings you joy so Beastie Boys has definitely been a long-standing influence in my life I love them so much so it started in high school and me and my best friend at the time Andrea still a very dear friend would listen to the Beastie Boys often 
and we also wanted to be MCs and DJs and we would pass notes back and forth between classes which were just raps that we would it'd be like I would start a rap and I'd pass her the paper and she'd like write more raps on it and we'd just pass that back and forth throughout the day we would go you know to guitar center on the weekends and like look at the DJ kits that they had which would include like a turntable and a little mixer and like a microphone or two or something like that we wanted despite being you know these like white middle to upper middle class suburban young women we very much somehow like glommed onto this culture uh like skateboarding and mc djs and bc boys i think you know thinking about it now it feels like maybe an obvious kind of avenue into that world yeah so we i did not grow up with hip hop all around me she did not either this was not a big part of our worlds. I think like the most kind of like hip hop or dance music that I got was at like jazz class in my <laughs> dance studio as I was dancing as like a young person. But Beastie Boys, you know, certainly the, the fact that the Beastie Boys were able to kind of cross over how they did into like alternative radio, like they were highly featured on the same radio stations as I was hearing other bands that I loved like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins like Beastie Boys was right there in the mix yes so it's kind of in with this a group of of music that otherwise you know might not have like fit perfectly but they found these ways and their sound was such that it could kind of mix into the rest of what I was listening to at that time so you know it was very much in my sphere like it was on the radio stations they were on the radio stations I was listening to a lot of, yeah, there was just, like, a lot of grunge kids that also liked the Beastie Boys somehow. Yeah. So they sort of entered my sphere, and I think that it's the kind of hip-hop that, it just, like, hits so many levels for me. It's funny and silly and goofy. Yeah. It's super self-referential. It can be, like, also really deep and introspective and personal and clever and smart and intellectual the fact that they were sampling so many different pieces of music from different you know not that they were the first to ever do that but they certainly made great waves in sampling rock music in the way that they did on license Mm -hmm. to ill and well shake your rump has 18 samples (laughs) just that one song yeah it's only like a Three and a half minute song. Yeah. 18 samples. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I did not know that, yes. that fact. <laughs> but that, that tracks. Yeah. That totally tracks. Yeah. So I, so th- if that kind of gives some context, that's like part of, you know, getting into the Beastie Boys. And I think, you know, I keep talking about my dad and my brother. They were enormous musical influences for me. But I think both of them also on their own really like the Beastie Boys too. I don't know how much it was like really played in the house, but like... I wouldn't be surprised if it was like something that would come on the radio and we would all like listen to it, you know, yeah. like um, that would, that doesn't sound like a, an outside kind of sentiment that could have happened. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so that, I guess that's kind of the avenue in. And so then from there, you know, I, in, in some ways I feel like the Beastie Boys, you know, the, the ways I was describing, like being goofy and silly, but also sometimes being really 
personal and deep and just kind of having this mix of kind of sentiments that they kind of are able to express and put across, I feel like really resonates with me as a person and resonates with my artistic sensibilities in a big way. And so, you know, (laughs) in some ways it feels kind of like a very funny and like misplaced thing for little Kristen to want to be like a (laughs) rapper. But in so many ways, it feels like it makes so much sense in, in terms of my, you know, artistic sensibilities, comic sensibilities, things like that. So yeah, then wanting to kind of replicate that and like write our own raps. And it was very much in the style and influence of the BC boys in these, in various ways. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I, it's funny because I was surprised when you picked Paul's Boutique Mm -hmm. because my intro and my kind of, my album of Beastie Boys is Licensed to Ill. Mm Mm-hmm which is their first album that came out three years earlier. And for me, that album is the one that I was like, whoa. Like, I remember being in the car Mm -hmm. listening to the radio and having my mom, and I was like seven years old, be like, oh, when Fight for Your Right came on the radio. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, we didn't change a station or anything, but like, my mom was like, what is this? Hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, what is this? <laughs> awesome. Because it was something new and different, something that I hadn't experienced before. Yeah. And they continually did that. Mm-hmm. And every album is a little bit different and a little bit more experimental and changing up. They never did the same thing twice, I felt like, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate in an artist, that they keep pushing and pushing, right. that they're kind of never satisfied with the status quo. They always find that they want to have more to say, and I really love that about Beastie Boys. Yeah. But so what made you pick Paul's Boutique? Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about this, and I I feel like what probably makes the most sense, given the time of my life that I was getting into it, I don't know if it was Check Your Head or License to Ill that was probably out at, at that time, like in the early 90s, but um, it would have made sense for one of those albums to be, you know, for So What You Want or something like that to yeah. be on the radio at that time as like the first influence. It, mm-hmm. it also would make sense if some of the hits from License to Ill were on the radio at that time. Yes. But regardless, I think, you know, there was some avenue in of some songs that were on the radio, things that I had heard that were kind of out there and, and quite popular. And then me and Andrea just very quickly getting very obsessed and finding Paul's Boutique to be the one that resonated with me the most. And I think both of us, um, I should ask Andrea if she still feels like Paul's Boutique is her favorite BCY's album, but um there's something about that album, and I totally agree, they have consistently kind of shifted and evolved and changed their sound in different ways. Like, they're still kind of quintessentially Beastie Boys throughout their career, but there's definitely different influences happening on different albums. But Paul's Boutique, I feel like, encapsulates so many different things. There's mm-hmm. a lot of really smart stuff. I think there's a lot of, or there's at least a a couple few songs that are kind of heavy, like not like heavy, (laughs) but (laughs) kind of a heavier sound, like some, Mm -hmm. you know, more like hard rock or heavy metal guitars happening and bass lines and things like this and samples like that. And 
a bit more like anger coming across. Yes. Plus also goofy silly songs, plus also really like intellectual clever things, plus like political kind of influenced pieces, you know, just a lot of different kinds of messages happening, a lot of different influences happening in a way that to me feels like this just encapsulates all of the best things about the Beastie Boys in yeah. this one album in a way that, I mean, the, all of our albums are phenomenal, but in a way, you know, it's kind of a tough call for me between Paul's Boutique, Check Your Head, uh, Ill Communication, those probably are the top three. Yeah. And it's kind of a tough choice. I think they all do that to some degree, but right. Paul's Boutique has just always really stuck out to me. That's great. What's your favorite song on the album? My favorite song. By the way, whenever I ask somebody to tell me what their favorite song is on an album or their favorite movie in a genre or anything like that, if I ask you again in three minutes, you have complete permission to say a completely different answer. No judgment for me. Because I think that asking somebody a favorite thing is literally like at that moment in that perfect microcosm of time that's when you're asking and that's what your answer you're getting and it can change in a minute yeah so at this moment in time what is your favorite song i surprisingly want to say high plains drifter right now oh (laughs) which is a song i love so much (laughs) and a completely like opposite song that's also in my head right now is Sounds of Science. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, These are very, very different kinds of songs. Yeah. Great. Uh, Mine, I think... hmm. So I always have a special affinity in my heart for Hey Ladies. Mm -hmm. But Shake Your Rump is so fun and so silly and is so clever and witty. And it's it's one of those songs that makes me be like, oh yeah, that's up. That's what Beastie Boys are. Mm-hmm. But also, Shadrach is so lyrically clever mm-hmm. and funny and well, just perfectly composed that I, I think that I have to go with Shadrach. Yeah, I love Shadrach so <laughs> much. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love Shadrach. I love Shake Your Rump. I another another one. I'm also thinking about Car Thief, and I think High Plains Drifter and Car Thief both in my head are these examples of these, like, more hard or angrier songs, which they don't do in the majority of their songs, but spoke to me perhaps in that time or is just kind of like a fun twist on what they do so well kind of taking it to this very different energy and dynamic in a way that I find really fun and interesting that's why I loved Sabotage so much Mm -hmm. it was a standout song because it felt and sounded different than what the other songs that they were doing were absolutely and then that like also the video is amazing for Sabotage Mm -hmm. but like that first like drop of the Oh, can't stand it. It's just like, cool, that's the most perfect thing on the planet to me. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, I do feel like another song I need to call out is Eggman because me and my friends loved that song in high school. My senior year yearbook quote 
is from that song. You are perfect and I love you. <laughs> Please continue. The quote is, suckers, they come a dime a dozen. And I, when I say dozen, you know what I'm talking about, boy. Which is in regards <laughs> to eggs. The song is literally about riding around the neighborhood and throwing eggs. And egging houses. Egging houses and people. And also, like, other funny situations where, like, throwing an egg at someone might happen. Or would be strange to have. I don't know. To describe <laughs> it this way is insane, I understand. But just everyone go take a listen. <laughs> um, and maybe eat an yeah. omelet. And maybe eat an omelet while you're at it. <laughs> so Eggman definitely comes to mind. I feel like I have not actually answered your question of what my favorite song is. Or perhaps I'm doing the thing of just changing it every couple minutes. Yeah. So. Which is totally fine by me. Great. I'm not mad at it. Okay, great. I also feel like if it's something that you are really passionate about and you care a lot about, it's super hard to pick one thing. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm not, I'm not going to ask that of you. Well, thank you. You're more than welcome. Do you have other favorites you'd like to give shout outs to besides Eggman? I was going to say there are, there's like a series of songs and I feel like on the CD album, it's, it's like all of it is maybe song 15 or something. It's like 15 A, B, C, D, E, like several F-G- songs. H, I, G. No, sorry. We're not doing yeah. the alphabet. Got it. Go ahead. <laughs> it's the alphabet song. No, um, but it's a series of songs called Beastie Booyah Bass and it's just a bunch of really short little snippets. And if I can call that one song, which may or may not be, like, technically true. I'll allow it. But we're going with it yeah. here. That would, that's another one I gotta call out, too. Wonderful. What is one thing you wish that you could have seen them do? Because, sadly, they can't do anything as a group anymore. Yeah. But, so what is, the, if anything, is there something that you wish that they could have talked about in a song or... Just be, you know, I would have loved to have seen MCA actually be able to be there for the induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because, mm-hmm. like, he earned it, you know. Yeah. yeah. But is there anything that kind of you feel like was left undone that you wish that they could have done? Yeah, that's such a great question. Anything I wish? I mean, in terms of what they've done throughout their career, the different evolutions of how they are talking about things. I mean, there's so much to be said about the misogyny that runs rampant in their lyrics, which we haven't even talked about at all, which I'm sort of shocked about. But as a couple of feminists here who love the Beastie Boys, (laughs) that is kind of the elephant in the room of like, they say some crazy stuff about women in a way that I that I believe is intended as like joking or something. I don't, and maybe this is because I have a celebrity idolization happening here, but I don't believe any of them were actually bad people that right. were actually doing bad things to women or objectifying women in these ways. I hope I, they weren't actually using Spanish fly. For sure. For, you know. Bad purposes. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we can all hope that they had only the best of intentions. <laughs> when um, they bust off their Spanish fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. But, Smart laughing again. Uh, <laughs> so I, I know that later in their careers, they tried to address that and did. I mean, they had songs that referenced you know, we, we are their own feminist stances later in life, which I appreciate so much to see 
an artist calling themselves out in a way yeah. like that. I also think so. that they were young when they started and like, yeah. I am all about people growing up and learning and being better. Right. And that's where I feel like is an area that they needed to learn and grow and become better. Mm-hmm. You know, to all the girls is not a really great song that doesn't really stand up anymore mm-hmm. agreed you know yeah like yeah just yeah. just listing off a bunch of women you'd like to bang yeah. maybe not the best album choice you know <laughs> but also your album with yeah those. yeah it's a set you know, tone but, right yeah it sets a tone that says hmm i would like to have a lot of sex now I'm going to sing about something else. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but also I feel like it's important that I really do feel like they grew over the course of their career. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that we should all be judged solely off of one time period in our yeah. lives, yeah. especially if we are acknowledging the fact that we are growing and trying to become better people, Yeah. you know, and it's not like they actually were roofing people. And stuff. Sure. I mean, sure. that we know of if they did. They're dead to me. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that is the case. Right, right. And so yeah, right. <laughs> singing a song that is, they're also talking about, you know, yelling at their grandma or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, maybe it's a little in jest and tongue in cheek. Right. And I can, I can roll with that a little bit more. Yeah, that makes know. sense. And I think too, I mean, I think of MCA in particular for that evolution and that growth and all the work that he did and the, like they were i think involved with like the free tibet causes and yep. he got very into buddhism and a lot of you know like buddhist chants are in their albums yes. and that definitely was like a musical influence as well as just a spiritual influence in their lyrics he was often the one bringing like transcendental lyrics and dynamics and you were like whoa you were just talking about this like funny stuff and now mca is dropping some serious spiritual like (laughs) enlightenment enlightenment exactly i mean i i feel like i'm not quite answering your question i think what i wish i could have seen like honestly my answer is much more selfish than that is like i just wish i could have ever been there for like when they toured with Madonna in the 80s and yes. stuff, like when they toured with Lollapalooza in yes. the early 90s, I so wish I could have seen that show. I did get to see them once live in, <laughs> yeah, in Central Park in New York. That's amazing. Uh, that must have been, now I'm trying to do the math, I think 2009 perhaps. And their show was phenomenal. I bought scalped tickets. I didn't have a ticket in advance. And yeah. I was like, it's the Beastie Boys. What am I doing? I need to go see them. And saw that, you know, bought a scalped ticket for, you know, probably hundreds of dollars or <laughs> something like that. Got to see them. There were so many costume changes. They were such amazing entertainers. It was just a really dynamic, fun show. Various, like, just an enormous stage. They were running around the whole time. Like, it was just phenomenal. And as wonderful as they were then, I was like, to be able to see them when they were really in their prime. Yeah. A lot, you know, not that they were so old or whatever, but, like, so much younger and just... Yeah. Yeah, like, doing... um 
just just to the like nth degree kind of doing the same thing so in terms of what i wish they would have done in in their lives and evolution i i just feel like i guess there's nothing that that comes out to mind off the top of my head like they they really did evolve and change so much and did you know play played their own instruments and did like completely you know instrumental a completely instrumental album and had a lot of really different dynamics happening throughout their career. That's great. For our third and final offering, we bring you This Is Spinal Tap. Directed by Rob Reiner, came out in 1984. And this is Kristen's whole list was albums and then this one movie. <laughs> so why this movie? Well... This is Spinal Tap is basically spinning hardcore is Spinal Tap. So, so let me elaborate for, please this, do. for the audience. Yes. Um, okay, so Spinal Tap is a movie by Christopher Guest. It is a mockumentary about a rock band called Spinal Tap who is aging and uh, kind of declining in popularity and uh, quality of their music and whatnot as they get older, but are still very into themselves and, uh, you know, confident and cocky and uh, unreasonably so, (laughs) even within their decline as you watch it on the screen. And it's hilarious. The whole film is just watching everything crumble. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) In the most ridiculous of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Spinning Hardcore is a, a band and a show that was created by me and my friend Anna in college. And Anna Waldron, who is one of the hosts of Adapted with Anna and Sam, which is one of our favorite podcasts. Indeed. Check it out. They talk about movies and books, books that were made into movies or yes. TV shows. And um, yeah, it's amazing. And actually, both of them will be on at some point for this show. Hooray! So, Anna and I created this band, which is an air guitar band from East Liverpool, Ohio. Ohio, thank you, yes. And... They speak with British accents. They <laughs> speak with the British accents. Very poorly done British accents. Partly on purpose as part of the bit, partly because that's all that I can muster. I think Anna <laughs> actually can do a quite a legit British accent. Yes, I've seen her actually in <laughs> plays where she's done an amazing British accent. Yeah. That's not the one she busts out for spinning hardcore, though. <laughs> Definitely not. So we, we wrote a handful of silly songs. We're both improvisers and comedians, and we kind of put this together as a stage performance, and it, it kind of snowballed into this bigger project where we involved more friends and collaborators. But the, the next and most important one that we added on after just the two of us was Michelle as our roadie who we lovingly called Cooter. Yes. Who's her name was Courtney, but everyone called her Cooter. And actually, to this day, I still signed emails to you and Anna with love your Cooter. It's true. <laughs> it happens regularly. Yep. <laughs> well, it's funny because actually the first time that I joined you, I did not play Cooter. I played, it was on some cable access show. Yes. And... 
I played like this hippy dippy camp counselor. Right. Which is yes. extra funny because years and years later, we had Carol come and she was the, the arts and crafts director. Yeah. And it was a similarly veined uh, spirit for the character. Right. But she created that without any input and knowledge of what we had done before. But yes, the reason that I think that we are all as close friends still today as we are is because of Spinning Hardcore. Mm -hmm. It really bonded us in a way that 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 project was so special and very, very dumb. So dumb. And in all of the best ways. (laughs) Yeah. We used to start shows where I would go out before the set began and I would tune the instruments and the, which were all air which, instruments correct uh <laughs> and nigel the invisible drummer mm-hmm. i would make sure his drum kit was all ready to go mm-hmm. as well and nobody knew what i was doing <laughs> because we had not set up anything beforehand so the audience just was like why is this weird chick like hitting things that don't exist mm-hmm. what is happening mm-hmm. And then I would really test the microphones. Right. <laughs> it's the only thing I really would test. God, and then we'd start the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was so silly. So silly. So these characters Anna and I created were very much in the vein of the characters in the band in This Is Spinal Tap. You um, definitely both could have been in the band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Um, but, yeah. The... <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be, really. Because <laughs> I've seen the movie, uh, and they're all train wrecks. They're total train wrecks. <laughs> but, yeah, the characters were, you know, totally full of themselves. Like, just thinking and feeling like we were the most important hard rockers that ever existed in the universe with these awful fake British accents. The characters in This Is Final Tap, of course, are British and have, you know, much more legit British accents. <laughs> uh, but there was that overlap. You know, we had air instruments. That was maybe, like, the biggest difference. But otherwise, <laughs> we were basically, like, our persona was very much taking ourselves so seriously. Yes. But all in the, in the efforts towards comedy, of course, and to be a funny act. Um, of these, like, really high hubris kind of characters, so. Very much so. Yeah. We did write our own songs, similar to Spinal Tap. They have their own actual songs that they wrote, um, which are fantastic. Uh, The Spinal Tap songs. Um, Spinning Hardcore songs are lyrically silly, meant to be funny, (laughs) and just goofy, um, but it's it's essentially an acapella group. When you break it <laughs> That's down. exactly what it was. <laughs> Just, we would do like la la la's in the background and make noises and things. And although I did play a real tambourine, you did. That is a fact. You played a real tambourine. I think that's the only real instrument that ever... That is the only real instrument we ever had. Although, uh, maybe there was one show where somebody used a triangle, but that was about it. Right. Yes. Anna and I met in college. We did comedy together in some theater. She was a theater major. I was a theater minor, effectively. And she was very much on, like, the straight theater path, but also had, like, a very strong comedic sentiment and interest and pursued you know improv and is a hilarious human being who's now doing stand-up which i'm so happy about but anyway we met doing 
comedy, essentially, and kind of we're also close friends and came up with this dumb idea, like drunk one night at a party kind yep. of thing of like, we should have a band. It's going to be air instruments. and that, But then we actually did it. <laughs> yeah. And we had this wonderful outlet at the time in the tribe, which was yes. an improv sort of collective of a bunch of different groups that would put on also variety shows and different opportunities to kind of put a, a random project on the stage so we had this outlet and spinning hardcore coming out of it. Um, yeah, again, just so many parallels to this is Final Tap, and I think a lot of our humor, Anna and I, is you know can can be maybe her more than I, like pretty dry. Um, certainly, major nods to Monty Python and uh, different kind of clever, brilliant British humor and that kind of thing. Yes. And, uh, all feels very much in the vein of, of This Is Final Tap and, and Christopher Guest's work. One of my favorite things, both about This Is Final Tap and Spinning Hardcore, is nobody seems to have any ideas about making sure you don't harm your bodies. <laughs> so throughout the the film, they're just doing all sorts of like terrible things themselves and actually in fact they talk about how they've lost multiple drummers um the first died in a freak gardening accident and the police said best to leave it unsolved (laughs) and the second one the second drummer died because uh he choked on someone else's vomit and the response was well they can't prove whose vomit it was can they (laughs) so that idea of just very ridiculous and not healthy expressions. Mm. Um, when we rewatched the movie, I was all I could think of was we did a show at a summer camp once, and it was for a bunch of improvisers. And both you and Anna started to climb out of a window. Mm-hmm. And as Cooter, I had to pull you back in. And I was so terrified that I wouldn't be able to get you both back in the window before something terrible happened. Oh, my God. But I, and full disclosure, dear listener, that show was not a good show. Oh, bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) However, I remember thinking as it was going and being terrible, I have never experienced any improv group that I had worked with up to that point that trusted innately that we would take care of each other. And it was so beautiful to me that even though I was like, oh, I'm going to be really sad if I kill one of my friends right now. (laughs) Because you were so confident that I wouldn't let that happen to you Mm -hmm. that I was like, oh no, what if I, what if I can't get them both back in the window in a timely fashion? But I remember it genuinely was like, Ah, this is the most trusting, supportive group of people that I've gotten to collaborate with up Mm. to this point in my life. And what a beautiful gift. Mm. And the fact that the show wasn't good didn't even matter to me Mm. because that was such a perfect, beautiful sentiment. And I imagine it's how the people who continually go back and work with Christopher Guest Mm. feel about being a part of that group of people that work with Christopher Guest yeah just so much trust trusting the moment and 
the awkwardness I can only imagine. I mean, I'm sure there's so many times where what's happening on set is so hilarious and no one can keep it together, but there's so much real feeling awkwardness happening in so many moments that's like, is this gonna react? I mean, I'm just totally speculating as, as a, a performer on the sidelines, but um, is this gonna read? <laughs> um, but just having that trust, trusting each other that there is that safety net there. But yeah, I mean, I think that's really huge, like building that trust, like that was a really formative time for me in sort of discovering comedy, discovering, I mean, discovering my, my personal discovery, I should say, of improv and comedy and having some kind of sense of navigating towards my comedic voice, if I can claim such a thing. And you, um, cer- you certainly can. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, just Anna being such a huge part of that, yes. Michelle being such a huge part of that. And this, you know, not not mockumentary style, but uh, sort of this fake band, you know, being sort of the crux in the center of a lot of what I found so valuable in the comedy I was doing at that time. I was in a lot of different groups, many of which were so wonderful and so many amazing people kind of came through my sphere uh, in terms of people I worked with, doing improv, learning improv, stuff like that. But that group really like gelled in this way that felt so amazing and uh, yeah, I mean, we basically did Spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> but for the ladies. But for the ladies. I mean, certainly with a, with a major twi- major twists to it. Um, but our major twists mostly being our genitalia. Uh, yeah, there's that. Yeah. yeah. yeah that was the primary. <laughs> and we didn't have instruments. Right. Yeah. Um, See? Was, no boring. instruments across the board. That was our big change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more like logistical than anything i'm sure like the fact that we couldn't play any right so, right there's that but yeah um, none of us owned any all of those things played into it <laughs> yeah. right the fact that guitars are expensive mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah you know it's hard to have an invisible drummer but also have to set up a drum kit mm-hmm. yeah. true very true oh my god can you imagine if we had a real drum kit and no <laughs> drummer on it kind of amazing anyway so did you name nigel the invisible drummer after the character of nigel not knowingly that's amazing it is very possible that my subconscious or i frankly i don't know who named nigel it could have been anna yeah but our our invisible drummer was nigel yeah and i you know it's i mean one of the main characters in this is spinal tap so I can't imagine it's an actual coincidence. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sure it was rattling around our brains somewhere, but not uh, intentional. I met years after we stopped doing Spinning Hardcore, I met a drummer, Frank Turner and the Sleeping Souls. Their drummer is incredible, and his name is Nigel. And I got giddy speaking to him because I was like, what if you are are Nigel, but like you found your body again. Wow. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. I want that to be. He real. also is lovely and a really kind, nice person. Awesome. Yes. Which, I mean, is nothing like the the character of the invisible drummer. Named that is Nigel true. That we made up. Um, he was a jerk. Invisible Nigel. Well, I mean, you two thought he was a jerk. Oh, fair. Totally right. fair. He might have still been lovely and <laughs> you just... Probably- you two were the wankers. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> that would make a lot more sense. 
So do you have a favorite song or a favorite moment in the film? Oh, my God. I mean, oh, so many things. So Big Bottom certainly comes to mind. That's just an amazing song. All of their songs are just brilliant in my mind. (laughs) Big Bottom I'll go with for this moment and you're not wrong that's a great choice thank you there are a few moments in the film or at least a couple that i'm thinking of right now that are just so brilliant and wonderful when they are they have the stonehenge sort of setting for their stage and they get this special like stonehenge you know the statue kind of like rock looking formation made just for their set and it comes down in this epic moment full of like fog machines going and whatnot and it descends from the air onto the stage but the proportions that were sent to the designer were wrong they were in <laughs> yes. inches instead of feet i think is what the yeah. deal is um and so it comes down and it's really tiny yeah and it that just like <laughs> encapsulates everything that is so I mean not everything but it's just like so much of what is so wonderful about Spinal Tap and and the film is like this major bravado to try to lead up to these wonderfully epic moments that just completely fall apart immediately in front of you and that's just such a brilliant example. One of my favorite things about comedy is the juxtaposition of expectation versus reality and so that moment when you were expecting this huge set piece to come down and it's just like this tiny like kids diorama (laughs) sized thing is amazing to me and it reminds me of in the movie zoolander when he's given a model for the eventual school that he's gonna build and he's like what is this a school for ants because he like doesn't understand that they like made a model of it and it just again you're because you're expecting him to be like oh this looks great let's move forward and build the real thing and instead he's like how can my students get into this building they're all bigger than it oh so beautiful that's amazing I think my one of my favorite moments is when they are coming out of the hatches, like they're hatching out of cocoons. Oh yes! But the guitarist, the guitarist, is stuck, so he's like yes. trying really hard to get out of his pod. Yes. And the roadie comes out, and he like tries a hammer, and then like a, <laughs> a flamethrower, and like they finally like, they work the whole song to release him. And then he's pops open finally as the other two are going back into the pod because yes. the song is ended and they're like going backstage again. And he's like, but I just got here. Oh, that's so wonderful. I think, yeah, I think he turns around and tries to go back in, but it closes shut and he can't open it again. Yes, he can't get back into it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. I also just think that there are some really brilliantly funny and so dumb things Mm -hmm. said in the film Mm -hmm. i my notes seem like a fever fever dream to me (laughs) my notes are a fever dream because like i have written down uh janine and dave nigel hates her and she and she hates him then my next note is a quotation from nigel that says d minor the saddest of all keys (laughs) which i do think is fantastic as a line (laughs) 
But then my next thing makes no sense. Oh. Because it just says, lick my love pump. <laughs> and I put a heart next to it. <laughs> Is that in one of their songs? Is that a lyric from one of their songs? It might be the name of a song. Oh, yeah. It might just be a sentiment mm. and a feeling from right. the film. I don't know. Because I didn't give myself more information. <laughs> The next thing I have is guitar guy pulls out a cucumber wrapped in tinfoil from his pants at the airport checkout. Right. What? He's like always packing. Yes. <laughs> he like needs to make it so that seem like he is very, very well endowed. Indeed, yeah. It's all just very silly and dumb. I mean, yeah. And there's, of course, the moment of getting lost underground as they're trying to find the stage door. Oh, that's so great. that one venue. And they keep going by, like, the maintenance guy who gives them directions at one point, but then they pass him again, and they're like, wait, no. And they're just terribly lost, but trying to, like, stay pumped up, because we got to, like, get to that crowd. And it's just so... Another one of those, like, epic moments. We're about to enter the stage, ah, like, full of energy, and they're freaking out, and then they're just lost and lost. Yes. Lost. <laughs> and it goes on so long that it becomes yes. awkward and then goes back into funny again. Yes, yes. Exactly. Which Christopher Guest is, like, brilliant at. Completely. So, my last question for you about This is Spinal Tap Mm -hmm. is, what character would you have liked to play in this film? I feel like Nigel. I think that would be probably the most fun character. Because he is more... He's just so oblivious and so wrapped up in his own world and mind and just can't really see, like, just no self-awareness. And to play that character that's so sincere about who they are and what they're doing and, like, taking their work so seriously. Yes. And it's just flopping in a major way. And maybe they can see it sometimes, but they mostly can't see it. That's such a fun role. Yes. Yeah. I think I would like to play the scared drummer who's <gasps> yeah. pretty certain that taking this job means that he's going to die. He's gonna die. <laughs> like, Very soon yeah. and in a tragic way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just like, I just want to get through the tour. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's such a fun thing that they play with. Like the more that they talk about past drummers that yes. have died in tragic ways and ridiculous ways that you were talking about before. The more they put, you know, in the script, they're putting this current drummer in, you know, seemingly really precarious situations. Yes. He's at one point, I think he like is in the bathtub and they're like interviewing him or am I getting that wrong? There's no, something where yeah. he's like in a tub and there's electronics very yes. close by and it's very precarious <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, it's going to happen. Like there's a few times where you're like, he's going to die now. He doesn't. Spoiler alert. I mean, in like they said. It came out in 84. It's not really a spoiler. They set it up so many times and it's just so fun to have that like through line. And he just always looks a little terrified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Kristen, we are now to the end of our episode where I give you things that I think that you might like based on what you have brought us to examine and experience today. So the first on my list is based on your love of This Is Spinal Tap. It's Gallivant, the TV show. 
Okay. So it lasted for two seasons, and it is uh, Gallivant is trying to win back his love, and it's in this like you know, you know, medieval time. But it's really campy and weird, and they sing songs, and it's <laughs> and it has um uh, the man who plays Lassiter from Psych in it, playing oh, okay. King Richard. It's very silly and absurdist, and I think that it would hit all of the right buttons for you. That's awesome. That sounds so great. The second thing is a book by Italio Calvino called If on a Winter's Night, a Traveler. Okay. And it is this really weird story that kind of has all of these twists and turns and kind of continually reinvents itself as you read through. So it starts off where it's talking in the second person narrative. So it's like you walk into a bookshop, but then in the second chapter... You becomes the name of a character, and it's the third-person narration. And it just is really, it's a huge mindfuck of a book in all of the greatest, most awesome ways possible. That sounds so cool. That's awesome. And my last suggestion for you is a musical one, and it's mostly inspired because of Fiona Apple being so young and making these beautiful words come to life for people. Maggie Rogers is my latest obsession. She's actually playing Newport Folk Festival and she's touring and I'm really excited to see her play live. But she, a few years ago, was found as she was studying in a grad program and this video went viral of Pharrell talking to her about how she was incredible and so unique and special and like nothing he had experienced before. And so her debut album, she kind of took a year or two off and regrouped and kind of found what she wanted and kind of experienced what it was to become instantly famous when she wasn't asking to be yet. And this album is just fantastic. So that's our episode. I would like to thank Kristen Aldridge for being my wonderful guest. I would also like to thank Rudy Sims for letting me sample his song, Senior Moth, for my theme song. And for Kate Hardley for helping me mix and make it sound amazing. And I also just want to say thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, I'd love to hear from you. And you can rate and subscribe, and that would be wonderful, too. Thanks so much. Have a great day.